I think as a business matures, which, you know, Bobby has seen insane maturation in like the year and a half we've been in market, we've probably done like and matured like 10 to 20 years <laughs> in, that, in that year and a half. At massive scale, it becomes less important, you know, how each channel performs on its own and more how you as a company are penetrating your customer base and penetrating your market and expanding your market share. And for true growth, you really have to look at your total addressable market and figure out how you're gonna capture more of it. Sometimes that means doing more advertising and getting in front of more people. Sometimes that means putting new products into market. Sometimes that means launching impossible to measure campaigns that seemingly have no ROI, but will reach millions of people. Yeah, it's, I think it's unlimited. That's why being in growth is so awesome. Welcome to Ad Creative, a new show from Pencil about the unexpected ideas that have changed the game for DTC founders and operators with a focus on actionable takeaways. I'm Chase Moseni. Thanks for joining us. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Shireen Aubert. She's the head of growth at Bobby, a baby formula company, but she's titled herself pretty epically, I, I might add, the head of Sloth. She shares some incredible insights about her career and what she's working on now, and I'm excited for you to hear it. Some of the things we're going to touch on are how to build a growth model when growth isn't on the agenda, how to build a proper tech stack, and what a modern marketing organization should look like. Shireen is incredible, and she's hilarious on Twitter. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this one. Before we jump into the rest of the show, I wanted to share a little offer that we've cooked up exclusively for our podcast listeners. That's 15% off your first year of any paying plan on Pencil with code AC15. Pencil exists to help brands scale their creative production so that they can get to the business of testing more ads and finding new customers. We hope that this offer can help you do that. Now onto the show. Enjoy. Really happy to be joined on this episode of Ad Creative with Shireen Ober, my fellow Persian sister. She is the head of growth, but she likes to call it the head of sloth at Bobby. Um, which is a baby formula company. Shireen, really happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chase. Super excited to be here. Yeah. Um, so, guys, we're going to probably make a lot of Persian jokes during this entire time. So just bear with us. And if you know you want to get in on the joke, just let us know. Um, we're we're all in on making D2C Twitter into Persian D2C Twitter. So, Shireen, you know, I always like to to start these things off with understanding kind of like the story of how you get to to Bobby. So I know you worked at Common Thread Collective, but you have a really wide uh, variety of kind of like tech and direct-to-consumer and e-commerce stuff that you've done in the past and agency side. So I'd love to hear kind of the story of what got you into this side of the business. Yeah. Oh, man. It goes, it goes way back. I mean, speaking of Persian heritage, and for those of you out there, you better start rolling your R's and switching your V's and your W's, just get that practice in. But I mean, it goes back to my origin story. I, my father immigrated here from Iran in the 70s, self-made man, fully lived the American dream, came here with a thousand bucks and no knowledge of the English language, became an entrepreneur and provided a life for my family that 
kind of allowed me to get into this space. And it goes back to my brother, actually. As a young kid, he was super interested in computers, technology. He started his own software um, company in e-com in the early days. Like He contributed source code to Magento. And so I got the privilege and opportunity of working at his agency out of college. And this is how, this is my foray into e-com. So I was on the agency side doing marketing and lead generation, trying to win win business for the agency, learned a ton about the e-com industry, even worked on obscure projects like front-end quality assurance for Metallica.com. So kind of got my hands and my hands into everything. From there, I spent a really, really good amount of time in the agency world, spent some time in-house D2C um, and consumer tech side, went to Common Thread Collective, where I feel I gained an insanely deep knowledge of what it takes to grow e-com businesses. I mean, and the access to data that we had at CTC was unparalleled. We had, you know, e-com industry data from 200 to 300 businesses, zero to $100 million in revenue. So at the click of a button, could really jump into any business and see how it was performing and what was driving its growth. Enter Bobby. I was introduced to Bobby about a year ago, knew right away just hearing about the business and its makeup that it was unlike any other e-com business from a metric standpoint in addition to like a vision and product standpoint. So I made the leap to Bobby and have been on a wild ride ever since. Yeah, that's great. I think it's so important to kind of talk about the varied journey. And I, I obviously, my I resonate really, I resonate heavily with the beginning of your story, which is your dad coming here with nothing in the 70s um, and making something for himself. So allowing you and your brother to uh, go and be brave. So love, love hearing that. What do you think? So you talked about Common Thread Collective and kind of their ability to give you insight into what's actually going on underneath the hood of these kind of massive businesses and what essentially like a a proper, how do I say this, like a roster of analytics should look like so that you feel confident going into it. So like, for instance, if you consult with companies, we have, you know, I talk to a lot of different consultants and they'll go in and audit a company right? You almost like just historically now have institutional knowledge to say like, yeah, this looks bad <laughs> yeah. versus you haven't seen enough or you haven't been through kind of the, you know, bap- baptized by fire to say like, okay, well, this could be okay. I'm going to go in and you're like, dude, this is, this was never going to work. You should not have done it. <laughs> and so I guess one of my questions is, um, and cause you know, we do this, even though we're a software is, do you guys turn, did you guys at common thread turn away clients? Cause you're like, God, this does not look right. We're going to fail no matter what, cause they have their businesses kind of in a weird place. Or is it one of those things like we can fix it? You know, that's really interesting. That's, that's a really good question. There is this dynamic having seen the inner workings of so many different agencies. There's this push and pull and this natural healthy tension between the service team and the sales team. And at the end of the day, both of those teams have to work in unison for the agency to grow. So it's a little bit of a give and take. It's a little bit of a, 
hey, let's bet on this client. They really want to work with us. And we can kind of see under the hood that it's going to be a very, very steep uphill battle, um, but let's give it our best shot versus this is just, there's nothing we can do. The goals are misaligned and it starts with the goals and it starts with this expectation of what's actually possible to where we did often turn away clients that had misaligned expectations. So, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, there's so much that, that contributes to a business's growth, but at the same time, like 95% of D2C businesses are exactly the same when it comes to their tech stack, their growth tactics, their positioning in the industry. And that's why, you know, I kind of fell in love with Bobby. It's the things that you don't find in 95% of D2C businesses is like really strong product market fit where there is a massive gap in the industry and people are ready for something new and then a really strong brand and like a lot of growth you know there's there's also this kind of like tension between growth and brand and brand is so so important like it is such a moat and a differentiator around a business so yeah, I mean, long story short, short, we would turn away clients and like there is so much that makes makes up like a client that would have been easy to win for. And at high level, it would have been like how much are they already spending on advertising and how much organic acquisition and how much of like an organic brand moat do they have? And if they have those things, then scaling is way easier than if they don't. So I have two things that come come from there. One is more about prin- your principles that you've learned over time. The second one is kind of talking in macro, and I'll start there, about like the moats that actually matter today. Um, and so I think brand, obviously, like you can lever up or lever down ad spend pretty quickly, but like not having a, a clear sense of your brand and then your audience are like two things. I, I still think the best companies that I talk to have a really keen sense of their audience. But everyone else kind of is like, well, yeah, we'll just market the broad, broad and people will figure it out. And it's like, no, that's how it works. But essentially, like, create, you have to have the right creative and branding for those people to find you because, you know, there's less and less ability to as specific as, as we once could be, you know, in the OG days, which were a lot of fun. <laughs> so with those things in mind, when you're thinking about growth and branding, because I, I kind of don't see them as two different things. Um, like brand is just a growth, it's a growth lever in my mind, right? It's one of those things that gives you kind of a nice foundation to be able to layer on all of the tactics and strategies that you can move to move the needle and get more incremental customers that are not there from the base. So I guess coming back around, you you said a core principle of yours that has come from CTC and I think you've taken forward is brand is a moat. What are other ones that you think growth teams don't think about enough? Because I'm sure you've talked to quite a few of them. Um, I think there's a huge misconception about what growth is. Like people just think it's running ads and like that's performance marketing. That's not growth marketing. And so I'd be curious to like, what are your principles around like what a growth team should be focused on um, to build moats around the business to kind of continuously grow and scale? Oh man, that's such a good question. And the topic of brand versus growth, like I could spend a whole month talking about the that whole that whole thing. I mean, just starting there, like a lot of people think 
that growth and brand are like two sides of the same brain. You know, we have like the right brain and the left brain and the growth people are the analytical people and the brand people are the creative people and there's this tension and, you know, they all, they're both going in different directions and we just got to figure out how to work together. And the way I see it more so is like for true growth and not just performance marketing for true growth, you have to look at, like, I use this analogy of Barbie and her car. Like Barbie is the same person, but she has many different vehicles and her outfits change depending on where she's going that day. But like that person, that brand has to be the same person no matter what channel you're in and where you're showing up. Maybe your outfit changes, maybe the vehicle's different that day, but those two things like have to have to go together. And what is growth? You're right. It's not just advertising. And there is this misconception that growth marketers are just paid media marketers or acquisition marketers. But to truly drive growth, it has to be full funnel. And like, you know, even the way that I look at paid media and acquisition, like we use paid social as a, it is a major brand awareness platform and play. And I think as a business matures, which, you know, Bobby has seen insane maturation in like the year and a half we've been in market, we've probably done like, and matured like 10 to 20 years (laughs) in that, in that year and a half. And um, at massive scale, it becomes less important, you know, how each channel performs on its own and more how you as a company are penetrating your customer base and penetrating your market and expanding your market share. And for true growth, you really have to look at your total addressable market and figure out how you're going to capture more of it. Sometimes that means doing more advertising and getting in front of more people. Sometimes that means putting new products into market. Sometimes that means launching impossible to measure campaigns that seemingly have no ROI, but will reach millions of people. Yeah. It's, I think it's unlimited. That's why being in growth is so awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a billboard for growth right now. (laughs) I think one thing we've talked about this offline, but I really am excited about, um, in growth. So, you know, we, for the last decade, um, up until 2021, um, when everything came crashing down on, on our, on us from iOS, we all got really addicted to platform metrics and, Oh, I can see the incrementality of this thing right here. Not understanding that like there's leakage all across this and everyone's attributing sales to themselves. And like, if you actually made as much money as all of these platforms were saying, you would be three X the size uh, that you are. And so like there was something going on, but you know, no one's questioning it because things are were going well. And like, it's almost the inverse now where everyone's questioning it. The thing I think is really fascinating is kind of looking at, you know, this from an MER, which is marketing efficiency ratio for anyone who's listening doesn't know, essentially is all of the old tactics that the non D2C brands were doing, mailers, TV, radio, people are starting to go with on D2C. And all the tactics for those, you know, main street brands who weren't doing any of the e-commerce DVC tactics, they're all moving into an digital transformation. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they're calling it. And I think what's going to be really fascinating for all growth people is now you almost have this ability to 
like move into all these different channels. And essentially the goal is what is happening in the Stripe account, not what is like every single channel doing. It's like, look, we have this spend, say 10 bucks. Are we getting 50 bucks from it? Right. Let's just make sure that we're doing those things. And then, you know, we'll do some of the qualitative stuff like post-purchase surveys, et cetera, to try to understand, but we're not going to be able to measure everything 100%. And I actually think it's going to make us better marketers. I think the data made us a little lazy. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think you're dancing around a word that starts with A and ends with N and, and was- Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A- attribution. We're going to get spicy on this one. Attribution. Yeah. Caused a lot of buzz on Twitter. Um, oh man, that was uh, it's still it's still people still dancing around it. Every once in a while, you see someone like throw it up, and I just have my same response every single time. Is the uh, the Michael Caine? Some men want to see the world burn. Uh, when people bring it up, like should I bring this up or not? Like, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> oh man, I I love it. It's so fun. It's like one yeah. of those fun topics that you know it, it's fun because. Before pre-COVID, we would be in the office debating, you know, attribution. But now to be able to open that up to people in across the industry and just hear everyone's thoughts on it, so cool. But you're so right. I think the trend, and this has been like the way that things have been trending for a while now, and everyone kind of talks about it, but doesn't really. They talk about it, but I don't think they fully realize like how important that this is, which is like being truly omni-channel and it is like if someone can figure out like omni-channel attribution that would be like that's our next that's our next company that's our next company multi-billion dollar <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to the moon with that one we're going to call it we're going to call it, we're going to call it azizam uh, uh attribution yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly but like if you could track and i think there's like ways to track people's cell phones and like how they're moving through a city. But it's like, if you can track someone walking down the aisle of a retail store, seeing an ad, making a purchase, but yeah, but that is the, that is the trend you have. You're right. You have retailer, like traditionally retail businesses coming D to C and not as many, it's a heavier lift for a D to C business to go retail. But I mean, if you can, be everywhere that is like the move (laughs) yeah i think what strikes me is the retailers have a little bit of a leg up from the ddc brands because they have like they just have they have cash flow um that they're able to leverage to essentially stand these things up more quickly essentially buy their ddc channel because they can just go get the best agency you know the best freelancer stuff to build these things for them the thing is they don't have the same like speed mindset that the DDC brands do. So like in your mind, if you said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go build an omni channel or I need to really focus on that. What would be the first things you would tell someone to do? Or if, like, you know, you and I started a brand, like, uh, we're going to make baby clothes, um, or something. How would we stand up an omni channel strategy? Like what would be the first place to start? It's a really good question. I I mean, I would start with the white space. Like where is their white space in D2C where there's not cuz I think like there's so much D2C competition that happens amongst D2C brands, but where are those spaces where there are there are retailers that are doing really well in retail that haven't scratched the D2C surface yet and starting there, building a strong D2C presence, it takes 
a lot longer to get into retail than it does to stand up D to C sales and revenue. But yeah, the way that I would do it, I mean, and, and the way that I think, you know, really successful D to C businesses are, are thinking through it is capture that D to C market share where there are some industry giants who are way too slow to move, way too clunky to do D to C well, and then start to penetrate the channels that they're they're dominating in once you have the D to C lockdown. Yeah, I think that that idea of white space is super interesting. On our first podcast, we had this um this beauty brand founder. Um, he founded a brand with him, his wife, and uh, the thing they found out, which is really fascinating, is Gen X women actually were their number one customers. And he said, no one's serving them mm-hmm. and they have more money. And so they're willing to pay more and they're more loyal because they're not kind of in this uh, millennial Gen Y, Gen Z, like, I'm just going to try a bunch of different products. Like if I find something, I'm going to just stick with it. Um, and so they're willing to pay more and they're willing to stick with it so you can get them into subscriptions much easier. And he's like, we found that out and we're like, oh shit. And then we're like, oh, we're going to go to QVC now because that's where all the Gen X, a lot of the Gen X customers are spending time. And we crushed it on QVC. And he's like, my wife was amazing on QVC when she did it a couple of different times for other people. So we're going to do it. And they sold out of all their stuff. And so I think the idea of the white space is really, really important for people to, if they're starting something new, but also like what channels, what tactics are, are white spacey that you can get a leg up on and essentially own it. Because you say like, oh, everyone's doing Facebook, Instagram, but there are brands that you go to specifically that you follow on TikTok, Instagram, whatever, and you just because they've owned it from the beginning for you, or they're the people. So like my wife and I follow this um, woman, she's in Provence, uh, her name's Jamie Beck, she's an amazing photographer. So now I get recommended because I like all of her stuff, I'll send you her things, it's incredible. But I get sent a lot of stuff from Provence, photographers, I'll go and look, but I, like, I'm very loyal. Uh, and it's because she was kind of the first one to get me into all of these things. Um, and subsequently bought like a lot of her products and a bunch of other things that she sells, but it's because she was going after white space, right? There's a bunch of different, beautiful travel stuff, but she went and moved to Provence and just photographs Provence. And you're like, okay. And a very specific portion of it in a very specific way. We're like, okay, this is the way I want to see things and, and interact with something like that. So I think that's a really, really smart, really, really smart one. So this is a funny, like weird segue. Your dad is an entrepreneur. What do your parents think you do? Do they get it? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? They they don't really ask about it. <laughs> they, <laughs> I think they're, they just like trust that it's going well enough. You know, sometimes I'll share the most tangible thing I can share is when we're in like or when when Bobby is in major press yeah. or like mass media, yeah. then I'll share it and they'll be like, it's this moment of like pride, like, oh, wow, you're at a company that actually people know about. Some people know about. <laughs> uh, when we, we got we got covered a huge article in Forbes, I sent it to my, he's like, I'm sending this to all my friends because like, we were, yeah. we're like on the front page of Forbes. Like that was, that was one of those things he, he like totally cut through. For him and like he hired marketing agencies all the time so he like gets that these things exist but he can't really wrap his head around like your creative ai software <laughs> what is that and i've shown him like six times still doesn't really can't wrap his head 
fully around what oh we do. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is hilarious. Yeah. Oh my gosh. AI creative software. That one is, that's like levels deeper than just digital marketing, which is already hard enough for. Oh, totally. Totally. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> no one, no one gets it. Uh, my friend, my wife doesn't even really get it. She's like, oh, you make ads. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely what we do. Yeah. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit about like tactics and I, I think this, a lot of times this comes down to like personal methodology. What things do you think don't get enough love right now in terms of helping grow businesses? Because it's like, obviously we've talked about all these different tactics. What do you think people should be trying to do more of? You know, what's really, really like been a unexpectedly good tactic that I think a lot of, I don't know if a lot of growth marketers pay attention to it. Like I personally wasn't paying too much attention to it prior to Bobby, but you know, we're a very research intensive product. So someone's not going to just impulse buy baby formula. Like they're going to read the label. They're going to compare labels. They're going to talk to their friends and their doctors. And I think it's, it's more applicable for higher AOV businesses or businesses that have, that require research before making the purchase which I am also a consumer that does a lot of research before purchasing. Like I will price shop. It's probably because I'm Persian. I'm like, I need to get the cheapest price. On this I'm just surprised you don't hit them up on the chat and negotiate with them on the price. That's the real. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Why haven't I thought of that? It's a little inside baseball. Sorry guys. I, I go to Twitter, complain and, and uh, get a refund. That's what I do. <laughs> Uh, oh, you know what? I was getting to the tactic, the coolest tactic that you haven't heard of. Download now. Um, <laughs> I need 37 retweets on this podcast before I share the tactic. But uh, sponsored content, like SEO is a really important thing for research intensive products. And I don't know how much growth marketers pay attention to or care about SEO and they should, but actually like sponsoring content um, and advertorials is a really, really effective growth tactic that I would recommend for any high AOV or research intensive brand. Yeah, I think that's like a very important caveat there, which is, um, it's kind of like, you know, people are talking about TikTok is like, oh, this is an amazing thing. But it's like, well, for high AOV stuff, it's actually not that great because the consumers are much younger. So they don't have a huge wallet to be able to actually buy high AOV products. But those, yeah, SEO, investing in those kind of things. I think the biggest portion of that too, again, everyone should know this, but it's evergreen. So it lives forever. It builds steam over time. And so essentially like the more people research this product, the more kind of the success of that article or, or thing it begets itself. So I think it's a really, really important one. I see a lot of um, bigger brands are doing that because they have the teams built out. But a lot of the other, like, I would say like the SMB versions of, uh, of brands are focused more on ads than anything because like the feedback loop is so much shorter Yeah. Um, on getting revenue. But like you said, it's kind of, if there is any kind of research involved and you have a high AOV, people are not going to, for instance, we had to buy a, a new fridge. I don't even want to get into the, the debacle of having a house from the 1950s and trying to get new fridges through the doors. But Essentially, there was a huge amount of research that went into it. And um, 
it was both predicated on size, but then a few other things that my wife was very excited about. And she sent me listicles uh, that were absolutely S- SEO. And I'm like, you know, someone, I literally, every time I tell her, like, you know, someone paid for this. She's like, who cares? It's, it's good. Yeah. I don't care that someone paid for this placement if it's good information. Oh man. And if you're a marketer, that is forever ruined for you. Cause you're like trying to do research and you're like, I, I know that you guys paid for this. So I don't actually know what's true anymore. <laughs> yeah. All things online are ruined if you're a marketer. <laughs> there's nothing, there's no place that's safe really. But uh, I think it's a really important tactic to recognize. I mean, the funniest thing is if you have budget and so you're, you're kind of planning, say for, I don't know, you want to hit some goals in Q1, you should really be investing in your SEO now and doing those things today uh, because you have, you know, six months of lead time for those things to start picking up steam and then iterate off of them. Um, and so you need to give yourself that three to six month window to actually see if those things are going to work and you need to be investing early um, and often in this because they actually, I mean, I have a buddy who has a company that does this specifically. They build this kind of content for people and the numbers are mind boggling in terms of how much they're able to drive based on what they do. So it's absolutely should be a part of everyone's stack. Yeah. And you know what it does? It allows for you to have that organic acquisition, that stream of organic acquisition so that you can continue to scale spend. And I think that is what a lot of SMBs get wrong in their mindset of wanting to grow this month, wanting to grow next month, but like not really thinking about growth next year or the year after. And like a lot of businesses, zero to 50 million do uh, like quarter by quarter planning, but not so much year by year planning. And like, maybe they have some plans, maybe they have some forecast, but they're not really investing in that organic acquisition. And like, I think that's what a lot of like that whole mindset, that acquisition and efficiencies, like acquisition and efficiencies come from paid channels. Like, I think that is like totally flawed. I think, yeah, you can unlock some incrementality by making paid more efficient and you should, but like, like your growth chart is going to be like sloping downwards in the next three to five years, unless you're investing really heavily in organic and even like paid organic, <laughs> like sponsored content, it's still paid. You're just going to see returns uh, trickle in over a longer time frame. So this kind of comes to something I think uh, I, I uh, taught, we had a chat a couple episodes ago with a uh, an agency founder and they're really, really big in affiliate. And essentially he said something that I think like coined the phrase in my mind, which is, some channels are speedboats and some channels are ocean liners. And so like affiliate SEO, these things are ocean liners because they take a long time to get moving and they take a long time to spin around and get things. Is Barbie sitting in them? Barbie's on either one. She can be on either one. <laughs> that's the thing you said, right? That's going to be the byline of this one too, by the way. <laughs> that Barbie can go on either kind of ship. I think the, the interesting thing is we all get focused on speedboats and it's because we're sitting there tinkering. And I guess this is like a, a call to arms for people to kind of do dual planning. I think it's going to have to happen based on like the macro headwinds we're all dealing with, especially for D2C companies is you can't just plan for the next three months. Yes, you need to do those things, but you need to have that worked out in year to two year increments to just understand like, if we do this, what is the high end? If we do this, what is the low end? And like, what do we need to do to invest to make sure that if, say, ads tank, we're not done. 
this no one has done that right everyone is like if ads think yeah we're done literally not oh, okay we have something to kind of flatten out our our like revenue curve right because yeah kind of what people are doing right now oh stuff's going well it's good seasonal oh, seasonality is against me it's like well what do you have to kind of flatten out your seasonality and, and deal with ios and that's what we saw no one had anything look bobby is in this period where we've had ads turned off since march yeah we haven't run direct response marketing we haven't run even brand campaigns designed for broader acquisition have kind of been um, like we've been a little quiet because we're in this infant formula shortage period. But yeah, you're so right. Like if you can look at your business and remove all of your advertising effort from it and what kind of like acquisition and like organic flywheel do you have without advertising, like you should plan for that. And advertising should be the like, I was going to say cherry on top, but it's more like fuel to the fire. Like you just like turn up the gas. Yeah. Advertising is, is fuel. It's not the fire. Like the brand and the organic stuff is the fuel and the products uh, or is the fire, but how you make that thing go, sorry, this is bad because we're in California, but how you turn it into a forest (laughs) fire is essentially advertising. Yeah. Like I'm trying to, that's, that's a little insensitive considering we're about to go into fire season, but uh you can't you can't please everybody all the time. It's fine. No, no, you absolutely you absolutely can't. Attribution and forest fires. That's what this podcast is about. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of those things is hotter than the other. Yeah, literally. So, we've talked about how we we think about what we should be actually doing here. I'm you you've had such a like a a great career. What's been hard about the things that you've done that you didn't expect to be hard during this process? You know, it's always having patience is the hardest thing and having and developing your soft skills and your emotional intelligence is always the hardest thing. I think especially for metrics driven people, growth marketers, it's, I've always kind of come at it from like, oh, look, it's obvious. Look at the numbers. It's so obvious. Like this is the obvious decision. Like we have to make this decision. But if you look at like the biggest companies in the world, like Amazon, Apple, like those founders were always harping on, it's about the customer. It's about being customer obsessed, knowing who your customer is, built like thinking about the experience from their perspective first, and then kind of like figuring out how it works later. And from someone who comes from a very scrappy, like agency background, growing businesses, you know, clients want growth yesterday and we need to make it happen like right now into a, an organization that is, you know, our founders come from Airbnb, a very vision led company, and they're leading the, the, the business with the customer at the heart of everything we do. And it's kind of been really eye opening for me. It was like, a little bit of a culture shock at first. I was like, why wouldn't we just do this thing right now? It's going to make us a ton of money. Like, let's just go. Come on, guys, what's going on? And they're like, look, we have to do this from the lens of the customer and we have to make it incredible and it has to be awesome. And for someone who's scrappy, that's like a hard pill to swallow. But 
then when you actually do that and you actually build for the customer and you build the experience with the customer at the heart and the vision at the heart, like it's the growth is way, way better than if you were to just go with all the growth tactics that you had in your back pocket from years of experience. So it's like, it's a paradigm shift for me, like really taking all, all of the voices of the customer into account before making decisions. Yeah. And I, and I think it's like made me a better marketer as a whole. Yeah. I think that's such a salient point to make and uh, like kudos to your, your, your founding team for, for being so focused on that. It's almost become cliche because we all say, Oh, you know, Apple and, and Amazon do it. It's like, you don't, I always say cliches are cliches for a reason is because they're true. And now we'd like are so annoyed by them that we make fun of them. Yeah. But you don't become trillion dollar market cap companies without doing something like incredibly right. Yeah. I think that's, that's really, really like an important portion to put uh, important thing to put like a cherry on top here. It's almost so, you know, we always talk about these things, right? And so like, you know, growth marketers, we want to do tactics. We want to look at like cohort analysis and focus on that. And it's almost we need to start being more comfortable synthesizing the qualitative and the quantitative and knowing that both things matter and they inform each other. But if, again, if you don't have an exceptional product to take to market, like none of the hacks or data or any of it matters at all, like you will die no matter what. It's not like the, the era of hacks to grow, like doesn't, it's not, it's over. No, I've had this like this like arc, this career identity arc over the last six months. Like my whole goal, my whole job has pivoted from growing our business to slowing down our growth because demand has exceeded supply across the entire industry in the whole country. Like, so I've had, I had this moment of like, my job actually doesn't matter. Like, wait, if my job doesn't matter, then I don't matter because I am my job and I spend eight to 10 hours a day doing this thing. But it actually allowed me to take a step back and look at like what actually drives growth. And it always, it always comes back to that. Like, is the product good? Is the brand mission strong enough to drive loyalty? And is everything that you're doing like for the customer and then everything else is just kind of like yeah it's you can you can get into the weeds of every number analyze every cohort try and you know kind of tinker with everything but to like actually maximize growth it's thinking bigger about how do you change an industry how do you innovate something new for people that they haven't seen before it's like a totally different game at that point. It's funny. It's almost like, how do you make your company into a product-led growth company, right? Which is like the product is at the at the center and the brand mission is at the center. And, you know, there's all like, we coined this in, in, in SAT, right? Customer-led growth, right? Just standard, you know, ads-led growth, community-led growth, product-led growth. And what we haven't done yet is brand-led growth, which is kind of product-led growth. But like, if your brand mission is strong, you have communicated it effectively, and you have a product that aligns with people's needs, kind of product-led growth, like you will absolutely grow if you put yourself into the right places where your customers are. And then, like we said, you can 
fuel is easy, right? We all know how to do the fuel. And like, then you get into kind of all of the different things you can do. But if you don't have that specifically, and I think against kind of the challenges of the market today, you'll have, I think you'll have a lot of struggles. So it's, I think it's really, really a fine, fine point to make. So yeah, that's go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that's so true about brand led growth. Like when Bobby came to market, the status quo was that breastfeeding or I'm sorry, formula feeding was something to be ashamed of. And our whole brand mission has been to shake that stigma. And a year and a half later, it's common knowledge that, hey, not everybody can breastfeed. Like people have to formula feed. And this is like a con the conversation has actually pivoted from the time we've entered market. So it's like, that's when, you know, you're making true change within the market. So, you know, you and I, even when we first met, this really resonated with me um, just because first of all, men don't get any of this shit until they go through it. Like, it's not one of those, Hey, my friend went through to this. It's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Until you're in the weeds of dealing with breastfeeding and formula feeding and kind of the ins and outs and the stress. And I, I'm so happy that there's a brand working to destigmatize these things. And I think it's, it's like really, really important work because I see the stress that women in general, just because I know all of my wife's friends now, and I, I'll talk to other, you know, moms who, who I work with. And it's, it's very frustrating that it's not okay. And no one has really kind of cracked this code as of yet until you guys have started working on it. So first thing, I think it's like an incredibly important mission. And the thing is, we're talking about brand-led growth. Having something that is so galvanizing to so many people, because I actually think, I mean, I'd be curious to know the numbers. I think more people formula feed than breastfeed um, in the United States. That's literally shooting off. Yeah, it's like 80%. Yeah. 80% turn to formula. Yeah. So then. Why is it that all those 80% of people are being made to feel ashamed when only 20% of the people are doing those things? And probably only 5% of the people are the ones who are actually shaming them. The 15 other percent are just like, who gives a fuck? Let's just (laughs) uh, move on. So why I'm saying that really interesting brand-led growth is companies can, not that you should build a company around this, but if your company aligns with this specifically, it's very interesting, which is something that galvanizes a group of people around a mission and like your product growth is an at like just you know subsequently benefits from that but like you're really trying to help people with that specifically so i really i really love that yeah what's it been for you obviously like you've worked at great places moving to a female founded company where one of the things i really love at bobby is um you guys all have your children's names in your signature and your email signature which i think is so unique and beautiful What's it been like there? Because there is a bit of a, like, it's hard, right? No matter what, even if people have kids at different companies, it's like this expectation of like, you need to be perfect at your job and a perfect wife and a perfect mother. And it's really unfair. And it's almost like we haven't as a society caught up to kind of the change in people's like lives. Um, So we're still thinking sometimes like 1965 versus, hey, it's 2022 and people have dynamic lives and they have bigger things going on overall. So how's it been for you going to that kind of company? Yeah, it's really awesome because we are, you know, we are, our founders are women who've had babies and have gone through it and our executive team, the same. So we are doing a lot for the future of work. I mean, we're a fully remote company. We just announced that we have 
a year of parental leave. So we're, there's like a ton of flexibility. We're trying to do it better than they do it in Europe. You know, we're a European style formula. So we're really trying to like live into the changing the culture when it comes to feeding your babies and working if you have babies. But aside from that, I mean, there's also just this unspoken knowing of, hey, we're all kind of like in this shit storm together <laughs> and uh, we we all get it. Um, but yeah, I think that there's just been some like incredible future of work stuff that we've been we've been doing. One day, hopefully, maybe there will be some uh, like business case study written about it. Yeah. That's this podcast. That's this little. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) We're the start. We're the start. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's really exciting. So I I I go to my anti rapid fire at the end um, here. So the the first big one is where do you source or get your best ideas? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, this is the typical typical growth marketer from other brands. Like I am the biggest fangirl of other brands who are doing growth really well. I love meeting other growth people and getting ideas from them. That is like what keeps me going. I also crowdsource ideas from inside our company. And then the best source of ideas is our customers and just hearing what they have to say and why they chose our product. Yeah, that's great. What what are some brands you've been um you've been super excited about recently? You're going to have to edit out this long pause. I'm going to leave it in just so people know that you are really deeply thinking about this. <laughs> I'm really excited about Pencil, to be honest. Oh, let's go. Let's go. We've been doing a great job uh, sending memes to people and GIFs, <laughs> not GIFs, over, uh, over <laughs> Twitter. You know what, though? It's it's a hard question. I need. I really do need to think about it. Well, just send it to me uh, and we'll put it in the show notes of saying these are the things that uh, Shireen came up with off the spot. Yeah. You know what? None of them. Do better, guys. Yeah. Do better. Step it up. Get me excited. Yeah. So during this process, all this stuff is really hard. Your mom with two, you're working at, you know, trying to slow down the growth of this business. What keeps you going? Because it's it's not easy work right? It's very rigorous. You're trying to make this, you know, this company a special, like long-term company. What keeps you going? Man, my kids, my kids are the number one motivator. So every day I get up, if I'm dealing with any kind of challenge at work, in life, it's just thinking about, you know, the sacrifice my parents made. And, you know, we talked about both of our parents have gone through similar journeys and then kind of, how do I replicate that? I can't, there's no way I can do it. But like every day I just wake up and try and it's really hard being remote. Like it's starting to, I think in the beginning it was easy. You know, I worked remote hybrid for a long time before the pandemic, but like it, it gets lonely sitting in the same corner of your house and not having peers to just kind of talk shit with and, you know, work on problems with. So it's like, that's why I think for remote people, it's important to do stuff like this, like get out and talk to other others in your industry. Yeah. I think that's something we still haven't cracked the code on, um, which is like how, how lonely it can be. I mean, I'm fully remote as well. And sometimes you just want to like talk shit about something stupid. <laughs> when, when, uh, when, me and my boys, when we were in the office, we would, uh, we would we'd watch the show called Succession and we would go out legitimately, go out to lunch on a Monday after Succession would go and we'd be texting about it. We'd be like, 
dissect the entire episode together, tell our favorite quotes. So stupid, but it's like those kind of things you miss a little bit. Oh man, it's so important. Like, I mean, even where Bobby is in this period of like national crisis right now to just be able to get in a room and like, you know, work on the problems together. We have to go through the hurdles of like Slack and email and meetings and calendars and like, yeah. It's so cumbersome, but like to just, it would be so nice to just be able to go out with your coworkers and decompress, you know, at the end of a long day. Well, my, my our CTO came to LA. He actually routed his trip through LA just so he could uh, meet me for the first time. And we went out to coffee and we were supposed to be there for two hours. We ended up being there for like five hours together. Awesome. And it was so nice just to like sit there and we're laughing and like remembering all these like crazy shit you know you go through all these battles together and you're doing it over slack and video versus the old days you're in the you're in the office and it's like oh camaraderie you know interpersonal camaraderie so yeah that was i agree with you i think we gotta i think we're gonna be able to eventually at least do some offsites in general with teams so people can get together more and kind of you know have that connection but yeah it's a really good call out so my last couple what do you think is the best the skill that served you best in life Sales, actually, I spent some, you know, I've been only mostly in marketing roles, but being in an agency, you got to wear a lot of hats. Um, you got to, but I did spend time doing agency sales mm. as, you know, as a part of like a mar- marketer. So like kind of co- consultative selling and I like mm-hmm. would die without having that experience. Like your, your ability to sell ideas internally in an organization is like one of the most important things. And if you already know how to sell things, like it's just so much easier and presenting. Um, There's this uh, Taylor holiday at CTC actually put me on to Nancy Duarte, who is, um, she did a Ted talk on presentations and I use her speech style in every presentation, like to, to do compelling presentations. And it's like, I, that is like one of the best skills I've learned. Yeah. I'll, we'll link that out as well. Um, that's, that's incredible. What is the best piece of advice you ever received? You know, I received some advice early in my career when I was actually for my brother, I was working with someone, a difficult personality. And I was like at my wits end. And I was like, I just can't handle working with this person anymore. Like, I don't know if I can stay at this company anymore. And he told me like, never, ever like base a decision on some, how someone makes you feel. And it's like, it's served me so well. I've gone into so many companies have, you know, butt heads. I've probably been that person to someone else. (laughs) Like, but you know, you just butt heads with some people, but like having looked back on my career, being able to say like, I never made a choice to stay or leave a company based on how I felt about it and really only made strategic choices for my career and what, how they would like play out in my life for the positive, not trying to escape negative situations has been, has been really um, important. Well, that's a great place for us to, uh, for us to end because I think it's really important. You know, this world, we've gotten a little thin skinned about some things and uh, <laughs> always need to take a step back and understand, like, I think most people just want to do good work. And yeah. sometimes you're going to get into heated discussions and it's, it's not personal um, unless someone says, fuck you, you're stupid. So <laughs> yeah, don't block someone because they don't agree with you on attribution. I mean, that's exactly, all I got to say. <laughs> exactly. Um, or find ways around it. 
to, to say attribution without saying attribution. So, Shireen, how should people interact with you or get in contact with you if they wanted to chat? Um, hit me up on my Go phone. Hit me up on uh, Twitter. Yeah. At <laughs> Shireen Aubert. And anyone can DM me. My DMs are open. And yeah, I'm down to meet with anybody. All right. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. People are very lucky to be able to spend this time learning from you. Uh, I'm glad I got the opportunity to do so as well. Let's do it again soon. And maybe we'll do the entire episode on uh, attribution next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ad Creative from Pencil. We hope you enjoyed our chat and learned a thing or two that can help you grow your business and think more creatively. If you have someone you think we should interview, just hit me up on Twitter. Also a small favor, if you could please share and review this, we want our guests' amazing insights to reach as much of the community as possible. And your ratings help. Till next time, add some creativity into your life. Thanks.